Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and I'm excited because we have just come off of our week of children's VBS that we call Summer Blast. And so this week was incredible. We had about 150 children here every day in addition to 95 volunteers that made this week happen. And so this sermon is actually rehashing one of the major stories that we talked about during Summer Blast, which was the Tower of Babel. The Summer last theme this week was the amazing race and that we as human beings are all a part of one race that God has made. And so in Summer Blast this past week, the kids learned about the Tower of Babel. And we described the tower as the people's attempt to connect to God by constructing a stairway to heaven. And humans continue to search for purpose and significance by constructing our own stairways to heaven. And in a stunning turn of events, God actually constructed his own stairway to heaven and only one thing is required to have access and so as this message is laid out there i would encourage you to challenge yourself challenge your mind to see what god would have be your next step with jesus and so without further ado i want to introduce this message to you titled stairway to heaven You know, that, that song, Stairway to Heaven, is considered one of the greatest songs of all time. I don't even really know what the song means. I, I looked it up several times, but I love, I love the statement, Stairway to Heaven. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, I want to I deal with this question that has been asked for ages and ages, really since the beginning of time. And it's this question, what do the gods expect of me? What do the gods expect of me? Now, when I was given this assignment to teach Bible during vacation Bible school, um, I discovered that one of the main themes was the Tower of Babel. So I began to do some research and try to figure out what the Tower of Babel was all about. You know, they build this, this high tower that reaches up to the heavens and they want to make a name for themselves. And God comes down and confuses their language and scatters them throughout the earth. And, and I discovered that most scholars believe that this Tower of Babel was actually an ancient ziggurat. And behind us here, we actually had a ziggurat on the stage throughout VBS. And people who lived during the Tower of Babel, and really for thousands of years after that, built these things called ziggurats for the following purpose. So they would hire these craftsmen who would build these little images, these carved images that would represent the pagan gods. They'd make them out of silver or bronze or stone. And it might look something like this. They'd make it and then they would have all these different images that they would um, have a parade and they would uh, have the procession go into the city. And then they would bring all of these images into the pagan temple and people would bow down and they would worship these pagan images. And they believed that the gods in the heavens would somehow take their place inside these images. And then after they took their place in these images, they would pick them up and they'd walk up these steps into the ziggurat, and on the top is a little house. And inside this house, there was like a little place where the people um, would, would honor the gods. They would give them blankets and they'd give them food and water and refreshment because the people thought to themselves, we need to make sure that we honor the gods We need to make sure that we take care of them so that they will honor us. And then what would happen in their minds, they believed this, is that the the image, spiritually speaking, would walk down these steps 
go into the pagan temple and the people would worship them in hopes, again, that they would be blessed. I came up with a quote from 1750 BC. The king of Larsa built this massive, beautiful, amazing ziggurat, and here's how they described it. They said, he made the ziggurat as high as a mountain and made its head touch heaven on account of this deed, the gods Nana and Mingle rejoiced. May they grant to him a destiny of life, a long reign, and a firm foundation. In other words, the king made such an impressive ziggurat that surely the gods would honor him and enable him to live a long life of prosperity, peace, and happiness. At the heart of this theology was simply this, that the gods have needs, right? And I know this is a little bit hard for us to imagine, but you've taken care of a two-year-old before, at least some of you have. And it's like, I got to make sure that the two-year-old has enough milk, has her blankie. I got to put her in the crib to make sure she's happy. I got to make sure I read her a little bedtime story, and then I can go and I can be blessed, right? That, that's kind of the way they treated these gods. We're going to pamper them. We're going to refresh them. And because I'm so good to the gods, they got to bless me. They got to make my life better. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, okay, Dave, thanks for the history lesson. But last time I checked, I've never seen a ziggurat at Centerway Square down a corner. I've never seen any pagan altars in my neighbor's homes. But did you know, you probably knew this, that idol worship still exists today? Still exists today. Um, I visited Haiti about 20 years ago, and I was driving down the street in a van, and I looked over to my right. I'll never forget this. And there was a little black altar, and on the altar was a delicious piece of steak. It looked so good. And it was sitting there on the altar, and I said to the people in the van, why is there a piece of meat on an altar in the middle of, you know, in this, this, this quarters where there's all this traffic? And they said, oh, because they believe that the gods are going to come down and actually eat that piece of meat. And if they give them just the right steak, the gods will be happy and they will be blessed. And I thought, man, that's so sad because Haiti's one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. They don't have a lot of food and they're giving their best to the gods because, hey, I want to be blessed. I want to live a good life. And I got to make sure the gods who have all these needs are happy. Okay, now, you might be thinking, okay, well, I've never seen a piece of meat in, in the person's, you know, when the Apostle Paul writes in, in the book of Corinthians, um, food sacrificed to idols, right? These, these poor people who rarely came upon meat. I mean, meat was like, you just didn't have it very often, but they'd take meat and they'd offer it to these idols because they really did believe that the idols would give them a good life. Now, we don't do that anymore. Anybody do that in your backyard? Anybody offer meat or climb up ziggurats? We don't do that anymore. However, and this is huge, however, it is so easy for that pagan mindset, idol worship, whatever you want to call it, polytheism, that there's many, it's easy for that mindset to so easily creep into our minds. In other words, this is what we can think sometimes, that if I honor God, he's got to honor me. If I scratch God's back, he's got to scratch my back. If I do good things for God, then surely he's got to give me what I want. That is a pagan mindset that has stayed with us even 
in the Christian church. I mean, some of you may have grown up in a church where you were taught, look, you got to go to church every week. You got to do this and that. And you got to memorize. You got to stay away from all the bad stuff. And, you know, don't swear and dress a certain way. And if you do that, God will give you good things. It's all about performance. It's all about creating this stairway so that God will be happy with me. Because after all, God has needs and he needs you to be good. Um, this even enters my mindset sometimes. Just this past week, I had a, I had a terrible week of sleep. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night a couple of days this week, and I could not fall back asleep. And I'm like, oh, God, you got to help me fall back asleep because i got to go teach all these kids Bible. And I, I can't you know, be rolling on just a few hours of sleep. I'm going to have to drink all this espresso. You don't want me to drink all that caffeine, God. I mean, God, I'm serving you. I'm doing good things for you, God. you got to help me fall asleep. Right? And in some ways, that's kind of a pagan mindset. God, I'm doing good things for you. You got to do good things for me. And it's so easy to think like that. Now, having said all that, it is really important for us to answer this question. God, what do you expect of me? What do you want me to do with this life that you've given to me? And this is the question that the Apostle Paul answers for us in Acts chapter 17. We're going to take a look at this extraordinary encounter that Paul has in Acts chapter 17. So let me kind of set it up for you. The apostle Paul, who met Christ and, you know, walked around the Mediterranean world planting all of these churches. So he planted a church in Colossae, and then he would write a letter to the Colossians, right? This is your New Testament. Most of the New Testament is these letters that Paul wrote to these different churches, the letters to the Galatians, the letters to the Philippians, the letter to the Thessalonians. One day, this is about 52 AD, so 20 years or so after the resurrection of the dead, after Jesus rises from the dead, he's hanging out here in Athens, Greece, Here's the Apostle Paul, Athens, Greece, and he's walking around the city one day, and he notices that there's idols all over the place, idols that look like this. Everywhere he looks, he sees idols, and the text tells us, Luke, who's recording this, says that this really bothered the Apostle Paul. Um, one ancient writer said that if you visited Athens, Greece, it would be easier for you to find a god than a man. That's how many idols there were all over the place. And Paul's walking around, and he's troubled by this. He's troubled by the idolatry that he sees. And so um, oftentimes, Paul, what he would do when he got into a city is he would first visit um, the Jewish synagogues because it was kind of like low-hanging fruit. The people believed in one God. Paul would go into the synagogue, and he would say, let me tell you about Jesus, who is the fulfillment of your Messiah that's described in the Jewish scriptures. So he'd go to the synagogues. Then he'd make his way to the marketplace and he would speak to God-fearing Greeks, people who believed in the one true God, and he would tell them about Jesus. Well, one day, he's talking in the marketplace about Jesus, and these Greeks who have never heard the gospel before, the Greeks come up, and they say, what is this babbler talking about? This is a new idea. We've never heard this before. And so some of the people say, hey, hey, Paul, why don't you come up to the Greek Areopagus where we have the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers who they stand up and they give all these impressive speeches and they're eloquent. People love their speeches so much that they give them all kinds of money. So he says, come on, Paul, we'll give you an opportunity to have your say. And Paul's like, I thought you'd never ask, right? And so Paul gets up there and he stands before the most powerful men in Athens, Greece. These people who constructed all of these pagan idols 
And he stands before him. And the text tells us this, that Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Notice he doesn't say to them, Y'all are a bunch of idiots for making all these different idols, right? He just kind of compliments them. I see that you're religious. I see that you're trying to honor the gods. You're trying to figure out what God expects of you, and I can see that. Then he says this, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So Paul says, look, I'm I'm all over the city and I see all these idols. And then he comes to this one that is listed to an unknown God. And the people who constructed all these idols created the one that says to an unknown God, just in case they missed one. (laughs) Right? They're like, we got hundreds of idols, but we don't really know how many gods there are. So just in case we missed one or two, we'll just kind of make this one to cover over all of our bases. And this is so brilliant what Paul does. I love what the Apostle Paul does here. He says this. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. This unknown God, give me an opportunity to tell you all about him. And so what the Apostle Paul does now, and I think that as Luke is recording this, he kind of gives us the highlights of his speech this is probably a longer speech, and you know, Luke's writing as fast as he can. He gives us the highlights. And if you're here today, and you don't know anything about the Bible, maybe you're not a religious person, and you just showed up today because your kid wanted to come for the picnic, you picked a great day to come because Paul's just going to summarize the entire scriptures in a few verses, right? So here he is in front of all these powerful people, and he's got an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, and here's how he starts it out. The God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord or the master of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. That is so offensive because these guys are thinking to themselves, we've spent our whole lives funding all of these pagan images. We've built ziggurats. We've built pagan temples. And now you're telling me that the gods don't live in these temples. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. Matter of fact, you could burn down this church building and it doesn't burn God because he doesn't live in the church building, right? As one persecuted Christian said years ago, you can pull down the steeples, but you can't pull down the stars because he doesn't live in temples made by human hands. And now he's going to take it a little further as if he hasn't offended them enough, says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. This whole idea of the gods have needs, Paul obliterates it. He says the one true God, this unknown God, he doesn't have any needs because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You know, your ability to breathe right now is given to you by almighty God. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is the savior of the world. And Paul says, he doesn't need you, but he wants to be in relationship with you because he loves you. You know, every Sunday we come together and we sing songs to the Lord. And, and you know, it's not like God's up there saying, hey, can you sing a little bit louder? Because I'm feeling a little bit insecure today. And I had a bad rough a rough night last night, and the louder you sing, the better it will make me feel about myself. So come on, come on. You, hey, you, I don't hear you singing. Come on, tell me how great I am, right? God's not up there. He's not insecure. He doesn't.
doesn't need you. He doesn't even need your worship. He's God. He created everything with the word that comes from his mouth. And he is not served by human hands. He does not have needs. You cannot manipulate him. He is God. And then Paul goes on and he says this, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. Some of you, you've asked the question, how on earth did I end up in Corning, New York? How on earth did I end up in, in, in Addison and in Lawrenceville and Painted Post? And how did I end up here? You know how you ended up here? Because the God of the universe put you here. And you're wondering, where, what's going on? Where's God? He's got it. He's got it. He's the author, the creator, and the sustainer of the universe. He's got, he really does have the whole world in his hands. And then he says this. God did this so that men would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Isn't that good news? I mean, the Greeks in Athens that day are thinking, man, God is so far. We don't know what he wants from us. We don't know how many there are. And Paul says, look, there's only one God, and he's not far. He's close. He's close. He wants to be known. He wants to be in relationship with you. So about a month ago, I was in Cape May, New Jersey for my family vacation, and we decided to go play mini golf one day. And we get to the mini golf course, and we go up to the, the window to pay and to get our golf clubs. And the lady behind the counter says, hey, you know who's out there golfing? I said, who? She said, Tina Fey. And I'm like, really? Tina Fey is like, the, like the, the famous movie actress, you know, the funny lady, like the Tina. She's like, yeah. So I look out, I'm like, oh, there she is. That's Tina Fey right there. And I don't know how you react when you see famous people in public, but I, I get kind of starstruck, and I want to at least shake their hand, maybe get a picture, maybe have a conversation. So I went over to my wife, Jen, and I said, hey, we got to talk to Tina Fey. We got to get a picture so we can impress people on social media. And so she goes to me. She goes, we are not talking to her. She goes, just let her be. She is with her family. I'm like, oh, come on. We're never going to see her again. Let's get it. She's like, don't do it. I'm like, all right. So I, I kind of helped myself together. We're playing mini golf, and I, I got my eye on her. Like, and I'm looking. I'm like, oh, there she is. Oh, yeah, that's definitely Tina Fey. And we're playing golf. And about the ninth or tenth hole, I look over. She's like 10 feet away from me. And I'm like, I, I got to go for it. I got to go for it. So I tapped her on the shoulder. And I said, hi, Tina. And she got, her eyes got real big. And she said, Dave Bridge. She said, it's so good to see you. She gave me a big hug. She gave Jen a hug. We hung out with her the rest of the week. She's actually here today. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen at all. I wish that happened. I'm sitting here. This is the real story. I'm sitting here. Literally, she's 10 feet away from me. And I'm like, I got to listen to my wife because happy wife, happy life. I really shouldn't say anything. And I, I held my composure and I did not talk to Tina Fey. And I was a little bit salty because at the end of the evening, she's taking pictures with all kinds of people. And I'm like, see, Jen, we could have got a picture and, and done all that sort of thing. But here, here's, here's the thing. She was so close, yet so far away. And even if I had tapped her on the shoulder, she had no interest in who I was. She did not care. And she probably was thankful that I did not speak with her. Here's what Paul's saying. 
He's saying, look, God is close and he's not far and he wants to be known. So seek him. Seek him. He doesn't need you, but he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. Isn't that good news? So Paul goes on, and again, this is, this is really brilliant, um, a brilliant message that Paul gives, because now he's going to quote one of their stoic or Epicurean philosophers that they were all familiar with. Here's what he says. For in him, speaking of God, we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So now he kind of builds this cultural bridge by quoting the philosophers with whom they were familiar. It's kind of like, you know, if you walked into this worship center today and you didn't know anything about the Bible, but you knew about Led Zeppelin and you knew about Stairway to Heaven, it was sort of my, you know, my sort of opportunity to try to build a bridge with you to take that theme of Stairway to Heaven and share the gospel with you. Isn't that, it's really cool what Paul does. And now what he's gonna do is, this is, I think, the most important part of his entire speech because now Paul's gonna answer this question. What does God, this unknown God, what does God expect of me? What does he want with me? You ever say that in a moment of frustration? God, what do you want from me? Paul's gonna give you the answer. He says this. Now, he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. Paul says, that's, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to, to repent of your sins. And I looked up this word repent, and, and it means, it's, it's the Greek word metanaeo, metanaeo, which means to change one's mind for better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. And so God, through the Apostle Paul to these people in Athens, says, I want you to just forget about all these idols, and I want you to think about your sin. And I want you to pause where you are. I want you to change your mind and turn to Christ and take another step towards him. We say here at Beartown Road, our, our mission statement is to help each other take our next steps towards Jesus, to leave a life of sin, to repent of your sin, and to follow him. You know why you should repent of your sin? It's not because God's insecure. The reason you should repent of your sin is because your sin hurts yourself and it hurts the people around you. And God loves you and he loves the people around you. So he says, you need to repent of your sin. You need to stop hurting other people. You need to turn around and come follow me. You need to change your mind for the better. We say all the time, you follow Jesus, your life gets better. Maybe not always easier, but it does get better. So repent and follow him. Paul goes on and he says, he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man, speaking of Jesus, he has appointed. Again, this is so offensive to the, to the Areopagus. He said, look, there's coming a day where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge you. And for those of you who received Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and he will say, come with me to my everlasting kingdom. And if you don't know Jesus, you will die in your sins and experience eternal separation from Christ. Paul goes on, and then he says this, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. 
I think that the reason that Paul could have so much confidence in sharing the gospel with those people that day is because he knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would say, Paul would say, look, my words, my paraphrase, if you don't believe me, you can go down to Jerusalem. And in this case, Jerusalem is 1,200 miles south of Athens if you take boat. He's like, you can go down to Jerusalem and you can meet with 500 people who witnessed the risen Christ. I think the reason that Paul had such boldness, had so much confidence that Jesus is who he says he is, is because he defeated death and rose from the grave. And I'll tell you that the number one reason that I'm a Jesus follower is because Jesus predicted and pulled off his death and resurrection, and he changed the world. And for many of you, he changed your life, and he changed my life. And so here's what the Apostle Paul says to the Greeks in Athens on that day. Here's what's expected of you. I want you to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and follow Jesus. And just stay close behind him. Just stay with him. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you how to move. He'll tell you how to live. You just got to stay in step with the Spirit. Um, this whole theme of stairway to heaven, I love to think of the cross as a stairway to heaven because the God of the universe put on human skin and the person of Jesus Christ and he climbed down the stairway to heaven, the cross that suspends heaven to earth. And, and, and you don't need to, to take care of Jesus. You know, like the, tech, the, the text says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come say, I need your worship. I need your praise. He came to serve you. He came to give you freedom from your sin. He became the ransom. He died in your place to give us forgiveness of sin. He became that stairway to heaven. And you don't need to climb it up through your own good works and your own performance and figuring out all these different rituals so that God will be happy. You just need to repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Follow him. You know, maybe you're here and you've never made that decision before. We want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. I'll be up front. You come on up. We'll pray with you. Maybe you are a Jesus follower and you need to get baptized to demonstrate to everybody else I'm a Jesus follower. Maybe you want to get baptized and demonstrate that. Um, even though you're a Jesus follower and you've never done that before. We want to give you that opportunity on August 15th. If you go to beartownroad.org slash baptisms, just go on your smartphone, go on your computer, sign up, and we will love to celebrate new life in Christ with you on a Sunday morning. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anybody because he gave everybody life and breath. He is God. He is the author, the creator, the sustainer, and the savior of the world. And when we ask that question, God, what do you want from me? What do you expect of me? God, through the apostle Paul says, I want you to repent of your sins. I want you to turn from your life of sin because you're hurting other people through your sin. I want you to receive forgiveness of sin through the cross of Christ. And I want you to keep in step with me. And follow me. And every day we take another step towards Jesus. 
have a friend named Mark Nielsen who's in my small group, and uh, I love his story of redemption. And we sat down with him this week to get his story on video as he talks about what God has done in his life. Um, so we're going to listen to this testimony, and then we're going to close with a final song before we head out for our picnic. So let's hear from Mark Nielsen. Good morning, Beartown. My name is Mark Nielsen, and my wife Melanie and I, along with our four kids, have been a attending Beartown for six years. I want to share my story with you of redemption. At the age of 14, I began using marijuana and alcohol. By the time I was 18, I was using both of them daily. I had a bad car accident at the age of 18 in which I hit another car broadside. Looking back on it, I believe that God guided that truck nicely between two trees, which saved not only my life, but that of my best friend too. That should have been a life-changing experience, but it wasn't. When I was in my 20s, I was drinking heavily on a daily basis. By the time I was in my late 30s, my life started to spiral downward. My drinking was at its peak, and I was heading for a divorce. It was not till I hit rock bottom and started sobering up that I realized just how much God was involved. God saved my life when I believed I should have been dead. God gave me a second chance on life and gave me the best gift. I now have four beautiful children with a beautiful wife. I know in my heart he watches over all of us daily and he feels I feel his hand on my shoulder helping to guide me through life's journey. I'm so grateful to be living the life that I am and it has only brought me and my family closer to God in the process. He has even answered some prayers directly. One defining moment in my life happened when my dad was extremely sick with cancer. I said a prayer that God should come take him home, and that night, God did take him home. A little bit about how I came to Beartown. My wife, Melanie, tells the following story. Coming from a very small church where everyone knew everyone, this church was intimidating to me at first. The atmosphere was welcoming, but still wasn't sure that I belonged here. The kids loved it, and I knew that was an important factor in choosing a home church. What sealed the deal for me was when I took our youngest into the nursery and every week we were greeted by this giant man who loved children and knew Carson by name without looking at his sticker, the great Woody Swan. Between him and Dave and the staff, I knew we had found our home church. Also, the amount of time that an investment into the children here is phenomenal. Thank you, Beartown, for all you do, not only for us here at the church, but the community as well. There you have it. I hope that this message was challenging to you, that it was inspiring to you, and it pushed you to draw closer to Christ and to really challenge your mind day in and day out as we learn to appreciate this beautiful world that God has made. And so, until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. Mm-hmm.